Ich warte seit Wochen auf diesen Tag und tanz vor Freude über den Asphalt. Als wär's ein Rhythmus, als gäb's ein Lied, das mich immer weiter durch die Straßen zieht. Komm dir entgegen. Hallo und willkommen zu Gegenpressing. Der Bundesliga-Podcast. I'm your host, Manuel Feden, and yes, we're back. Um, summer edition of this podcast. Good times because it's summer football all over. Uh, the UEFA Nations League and all that kind of stuff is keeping us somewhat busy. But um, it's not just that that's keeping us busy because my co-host, Stefan Bienkowski, you're moving. How's that going? I, I hear you sort of balancing your laptop somewhere in the middle of an empty room. <laughs> yes, I have my computer on uh, my dining room table at the minute. I also have my dog barking in the background. I don't know if you can hear that. She's <laughs> she has no idea what's going on. She she sat in the in her flat yesterday watching the removal guys kind of pick up the furniture around her, and then she got put back and in, in, put in the back of the car for an hour, drove across the country, and then plops down in a different. Uh, a different house with all her furniture and things in place so she's just trying to she just keeps flopping over in different parts of the house thinking is this my new spot is this my new spot and <laughs> she's currently flopped over beside me at the desk and she's growling at me because i want rubber tummy um, <laughs> but which is kind of how i feel as well to be honest i want to just kind of flop over and have someone rub my tummy because it's been a very stressful couple of days but yeah i've never been a fan of moving <laughs> <sighs> It's it was it's not great fun. It wasn't great fun, but it'll be worth it in the end. Um, no, but... it's it always is, and especially for you guys because you're moving into a house, right? Flat to a house. Yeah, we've kind of got this big old farmhouse out in the countryside in Scotland, and it's just incredible. We've got a river at the bottom of our garden, which we fully intend on swimming and kayaking across through the summer. So it's been a this this is kind of why it's been so sudden because we came up to look at the place and it just kind of ticked all our boxes. And that very day, we're like, right, we want it, it's ours. So <laughs> nice. it's meant we've had to move within the space like two weeks of deciding we were going to move. But, you know, sometimes you have to do that in life. Yeah, it's um, how it is. Um, this is episode 250, Stefan. So I, I kind of we kind of decided to let the listeners run this episode by sending yep. us questions. Um, Can I just say, uh, I, I honestly can't believe it's already 250. It feels like I only, I only started a year ago. You know, it's times just fly so quickly. Yeah. Well, <laughs> I, I, the show has been now going for almost five years, which is just remarkable. Um, I can't believe we got to 250. I don't think we ever thought we would get this far. Here's to the next 250. Um, and I also shout out to Chris Williams and Bryce Dunn, who of course have played a huge part in, in this podcast as well, right? Throughout the ages. And it's still lurking about, uh, maybe come back one day, who knows? Um, so yeah. Anyways, lots of questions come in and we want to tackle them all right after this break. This episode of the Gegenpressing Podcast is brought to you by Bet Online. Our partners at Bet Online continue being the number one source for all your betting needs and sports info. Find all of the latest odds, news, and sports development, including this year's basketball championship finals, the NHL hockey conference finals, Major League Baseball, the latest fighting news, and even next season's early NFL futures. Head to the website or 
Use your mobile device to sign up today to receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Just use your, our promo code BELIEVE, that is B-L-E-A-V, BELIEVE, to get the bonus and get into the action. Bet online when the game starts. All right. Um, the first question is about the Germany game, yesterday's Germany game, which, by the way, I'm kind of just a, I, I'm not a big fan of the UEFA Nations League at all. I think they glorified friendlies, but I was still a little annoyed that Germany didn't win that game, Stefan, because it's not because it's England, it's just because it seemed so unnecessary that they, that they drew in the end, right? It's just sure. giving away that. The penalty, and at, at first glance, I was like, "How is he? How is this a penalty if Kane is offside?" And it was a repeat of the Champions League final where the ball was played intentionally or not intentionally to Kane from a defender, mm. and therefore Kane was then on the side and then brought down the box. And initially, it looked like a typical Kane dive, but yeah, there was contact. So I guess that's a, that's a good penalty. Kane got to score his 50th and i quoted the zone commentating crew here against the old enemy i mean hopefully we will have an england germany game soon without bringing up the war um <laughs> <laughs> it's not much i'm asking for it's really not much um i just want to enjoy the football and not talk about world war ii all the time but i guess yeah. that's how these england games are always they're always accompanied by rah, 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 world war ii and even like the best commentators can't help themselves um but we did have a question come in about the Germany game. And I find this one is intriguing. Can Deutschland perform in the World Cup without a true striker? Who's going to step up? One goal per game isn't going to be enough in the knockout state. This came in from KW Brand on Twitter. Yeah, it is a good question. Um, because as much as I am not a fan of Harry Kane... And as much as he does score his goals against lower opposition, and yes, you can point at the six World Cup goals that he scored, and I can point you quite clearly at three of them against Tunisia, two of them from the penalty spot, he does give you goals, right? Mm. Um, and maybe if they give had you been a focal point, doesn't it? Yeah, and maybe if there had been a hurricane on Germany's team, they would have maybe put it away way earlier because there was pl plenty of chances to make a two and three nil for Germany uh, before England came back into this game. Um, so you are inviting your position into back into games by keeping it close, don't you? Yeah, I mean, you could maybe you just make the argument that who needs a striker when you have Jonas Hoffman, who has clearly decided that in the kind of autumn of his career, he's going to suddenly turn into Thomas Muller. Uh, <laughs> But no, it's 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 obviously a very serious question. You know, it's 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 something that's been kind of plaguing the German national team for some time now. Um, but I think the encouraging thing for me is that I didn't get a chance to watch the game in full. But even just from watching the highlights of that match, it does feel like that, that Germany team are just far more confident of attacking. They kind of know which lines to pass through. They're finding men in the final third. Now, some of that may be down to the fact that England's defenders right now aren't maybe as confident as they would be. That kind of defence is built on Harry Maguire, who's had probably the worst career of his first season of his career, so he wasn't exactly bubbling with confidence. But I think there's kind of two things here. I think on the one hand, 
you have to have a manager who can build a system that doesn't need a striker. Mm. And I think in Hansi Flick, they probably do have someone that could do that. He obviously has a huge amount of experience under Yogi Lowe and the national team in terms of trying to wrestle with this discussion. He's not he's not going to go down the same route as Yogi Lowe unless he feels there's a genuine need to do so because there was just so much right and so much wrong with all those years of trying Mario Goza there or whoever else. Um, and the other thing as well is that Germany do actually have players who can play up front. Um, you know, I think Kai Havertz is becoming more of a number nine by the day. Seems to be the role he prefers at Chelsea. It seems to be the role that he prefers himself. I know he doesn't really have the physique of a strong number nine, but whenever I've seen interviews with him or whenever he talks about what he prefers to do, he loves to be in the box, getting on the end of crosses, scoring goals. So I think there's a lot of potential there for him to lead the line in the long run for Germany. And in Hansi Flick, I think they have a head coach who can kind of get the best out of that. Uh, and I think that's kind of what we saw in part against England. I mean, Jonas Hoffman was probably the guy who stood up more, most out in that game, but um, it's not something that hugely concerns me for Germany. Um, I think it was something that was a genuine problem last season, last summer in the Euros. Uh, but in so many ways, that was just a kind of team and a manager and just a whole project kind of coming to its end. Um, yeah. And it just seems to be a lot more hope and a lot more confidence throughout this team. And I think as such, the striker situation will probably resolve itself. Yeah, it's it's. I think so. Um, I think the one really big positive that I take away from yesterday is that the best English player played for for Germany. <laughs> <laughs> in in that particular game, I don't want to say overall, but in that particular game, Jama Musiala had had a great game, um, playing in a right next to Thomas Müller behind Harvards. Uh, in a number 10 slash number eight role. And I felt there was a direct correlation between him coming off and Werner coming on and Germany's game kind of falling off the wayside a little bit. And I'm not saying that's because of Timo Werner. I'm saying that's because I think Musiala did a great job keeping that midfield together. And I think you always see how important a player is for a team when you take him off, right? Um, the substitutions, I think... The, the Italy game, that was a bit on the team but for not having enough urgency. But I think this game is a little bit on the coaching staff for the substitutions that they made. And mm. I think Flick just sees this as a, as a test match. Yeah. Right. So it is what it is. Um, I think in a competitive fixture, Germany probably put this away. Um, no Number nine or not. And um, maybe like... To, to answer that question, I think there will be a true number nine. It will be interesting to see what happens with Lukas Nemcha over the next few months, right, at Wolfsburg. I think mm. he's a hugely talented player and he is maybe someone who can play in that role. Um, there's Burkhardt with the U21 who's been having a great time down there. Mokuku scored two goals uh, for the U21. So there is, there is players out there that can maybe um, perform that role eventually. So we'll see, um, but I, I I don't think one goal a game uh, is going to be enough in a knockout stage if Germany wants to win the World Cup, and I think this is always their goal. Uh, let's move on. Sumlak defeater at Sumlak defeater. This is someone who comments quite often on my posts and on gegen pressing posts, and always positive comments. So we appreciate the question. Number one, can anyone explain what's going through Gnabry's head right now with the contract negotiations? And then number two is, why is Sane so mercurial for the national team buying even at this age? Let's do the Knabri one first. 
because um, the next question that we got kind of ties into this, and this is from FT Blocken, who I also know quite well and also has commented quite a lot. How much is too much for money? And mm. I think Napri is asking that very same question. Yeah, you know, I actually think the first question actually maybe almost answers itself. The reason that Gnabry thinks so much of himself and his Bayern team is because the alternatives are extremely inconsistent. Um, I think Kingsley Coleman's a good player. Uh, I think he was one of the best players in that kind of campaign and they won the Champions League under Hansi Flick. I think he deserved his contract. Um, you know, we've kind of talked about this and the amount of money the club would have had to have spent to find a, an ample replacement would have probably been more than they end up paying him in wages. Um, but in terms of Leroy Sani, you know, I think I think Lothar Mateus actually said this a few months ago, and he got in a bit of trouble from Bra- from uh, Salihamovic. I almost called him Brazil there. We're not we're not on first name terms. Um, Salihamovic there, I think he called him out by saying, you know, you don't know what you're talking about. And basically, Lothar Mateus's argument was that. Um, you know, Bayern's entire front line have been completely thrown apart when they signed Leroy Sané because they signed this player who was so expensive, not just in terms of a transfer fee, but in terms of his wages. Yeah. And that kind of realigned everyone else in that front line in terms of how much they're worth. And Kingsley Coman could probably quite confidently look at his numbers and say, well, I'm just as good as Leroy Sané, so I want to be paid that much. And I think Serge Gnabry's just doing the exact same thing. And the problem is that, you know, there's certainly up for debate whether... Uh, Coman and Gnabry are worth, you know, eighteen or twenty million euros a year. But when you put that alongside how much Leroy Sani's making, then you can understand their argument. So, you know, to kind of answer one question with the other one, what's going through in Gnabry's head right now with his contract negotiations is that Leroy Sani is so mercurial, but gets paid probably twice as much money out of him. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm not really sure that makes much sense because I'm a big Leroy Sani fan when he's on form. I really thought he was kind of beginning to come, kind of pick things up last year, uh, last season under Hansi Flick to an extent, and then you know the start of this season under um, Julian Nagelsmann. But he did begin to kind of drift away again, and I was always kind of making excuses for him, always making excuses for his injuries, settling in, playing in different positions. There was all this stuff about really wants to play in the left or the right, but at the end of the day you have to just kind of get on with it. Kingsley Coleman plays both wings. Serge Gnabry plays both wings. Thomas Muller sometimes has to play all sorts of positions. Joshua Kimmich has to play right back from time to time. You kind of just have to get on with the job you're dealt. And I do feel like Sani's a bit too precious with these things. Um, and it's, and yeah, so I'm, I'm not entirely sure Sani's worth what he's paid at the club, but the problem is that he's the kind of yardstick by which Gnabry and Coleman rate themselves. Yeah, I, I always hear from people say that Sani didn't didn't have the year that they expect. Um, he's like, oh, he's like, he hasn't really produced this year, is what I hear quite often people say. And then you know, and then saying, well, Sani has been this player and doing that, and Kuman has been so great. And I always say, well, Leroy Sani had seven goals and seven assists in thirty-one games. And Serge Gnabry in this in 33 games had 14 goals and six assists. You know, I mean, <laughs> that's that's actually a really 14 goals and six assists for a winger in the Bundesliga is very good. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> that's a very good number, um, and it puts him into the top 10 of goals and assists providers in the entire league. And he will be looking at that and say, not only should I be making the same amount of money than Sané 
and Coman, I should be making more because I'm producing more. And I think this is really what's going on right now because this latest offer is around 18 million, which is just a million more than, than Coman. And I think George Knabi is saying, well, they took this so long for them to give me this offer. And then they are courting this, this Sadio Mane guy from, from Liverpool. Um, and I know that with the way I have produced, I can easily find another club. I mean, there is a the team in Spain that's just lost out on a guy named Mpape. We'll probably look at this Gnabry situation and say, hmm, this guy is pretty good. Yeah. Right? Yeah, so. exactly. Exactly. And, and that's kind of the issue as well for Bayern. Gnabry probably has, it's, it's basically, a, you know, a buyer's market in regards to him because he can kind of, he, it, 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 it is tricky. The problem is that obviously Gnabry's reputation before he joined Bayern was very low. Uh, didn't work out for him in England whatsoever, really. And then he's kind of worked his way up bit by bit at Bayern Munich. Um, but he's, 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 he's now, you know, obviously proven himself at a very high level and there's a lot of clubs that would happily have him. So that doesn't help Bayern at all. We've talked about in the past about the, the club's, can, you know, struggles going forward with Premier League money and the kind of the way that the star players will continue to kind of use the allure of England. I know in this case, it's probably Spain and Real Madrid, but um, it's it's a very tricky situation. And it has now led to obviously the club going after Sadio Mane, mm. um, which is also another issue. I'm not entirely sure it will fix any problems in my opinion, but um, yeah, I don't I know. I think it might make things worse. Yeah, exactly. Well, I kind of talked about well, I mean, we've, I think we've, we maybe got a question on this, which we can maybe jump yeah. to. But so, like, what's how much is too much for for money? Do you think? Because I there is this. We're in a chat with Chris, and he sent us this tongue in cheek thing that he thinks that Bayern made Liverpool angry. But at the end of the day, Bayern offered for money the same amount of money than what Liverpool paid for Thiago. Mm. And they and I think the, the the understanding in the Bayern Munich camp is that there is some sort of gentleman's agreement. And you can agree with that or not. Like I'm not this is not my opinion, but I just you just I think where Bayern coming from, right? Hmm. So don't take me apart for this. Uh, don't radio me here. But um I think the understanding in the Bayern Munich camp is like it's your turn. This guy wants to leave Liverpool. He wants to only join us. Um the like Thiago, like it was the case with Thiago, it's your turn to give us this player. Mm. So I think the Thiago price is a fair price. Yeah, but that that's kind of based on the idea that clubs have some sort of honor or agreement behind closed yeah. doors to scratch each other's backs, which whether they do or don't, it's up for debate. And you know, to go back to the actual question itself, it's a really interesting one how much Sadio Mane is worth. I think this is a perfect example of how it's so hard to put a genuine transfer value on a player because at the end of the day, the player's worth however much the buying club will pay for him. And in Liverpool's mind, and in my mentions, which are now full of Liverpool fans making this argument, Sadio Mane is a Champions League winning legend of the club who should be considered among the very best forwards in, in European football today, which is a perfectly fair argument to make, but in the eyes of Bayern Munich, he's a player who won't score as many goals as Robert Lewandowski, a player who's now older 
than Leroy Sané, Kingsley Coleman, and Serge Gnabry. And also a player who will probably have to fight with those three players for uh, game time next season. And that's assuming the club can still sign a striker to replace Lewandowski. So when you add all those factors into it, and this is the point I was trying to make on Twitter, which is always impossible to do when you're arguing with football fans, but without trying to diminish what he means to Liverpool fans, I think they have to accept the fact that he's only worth so much to Bayern Munich because he's not the be-all and end-all of Bayern Munich's uh, transfer window. So, and that's what kind of, that's what kind of baffles me with this move, to be honest with you. Um, I think I said a few weeks ago that he would have made a smart Serge Gnabry replacement, but that was before this turned into this huge public debacle in which Liverpool now have to show face and demand that they get the absolute utmost for him. Um, and Bayern have to decide whether he's worth that. If they were picking him up for 25 million euros and, say, 12 or 13 million euros salary for a two- or three-year contract, absolutely, it makes perfect sense. But when that when that transfer fee balloons up to 40 million and maybe his wages bump up as well as that because he'll then demand a, 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 you know, a, a, a part of that sign-on fee, you're kind of beginning to get to the numbers where you're wondering, why don't Bayern just go out and add an extra 20 or 30 million on that and go get Darwin Nunes, you know? And that's the now kind of, linked to Liverpool. Well, exactly, <laughs> who are probably now thinking, wow, we've now got 40 million extra euros to spend because yeah. Bayern wants Adio Mane, so... And Darwin Nunes would be the way smarter transfer. Way smarter, yeah. in my opinion. That's just my opinion. Um, but it's funny that Bayern, just as we're talking about this one Liverpool sent in a question... Well, it's not really a question. It's a more of a comment, I guess. This is Adam at AdsWithComp on Twitter. One of the British journalists is saying that Liverpool told the sporting director, in brackets, can't spell his name, Salihamidzic, that's him, <laughs> and that Bayern offer is insulting. I think that maybe there was some goodwill after the Thiago transfer. Maybe Bayern think we got Thiago cheap and hope for goodwill on fee. Yeah, that's it. <laughs> That's exactly it. You nailed it, Adam. Um, that's exactly, I think, what Bayern are thinking. And whether they're right or wrong, again, this is not me to judge, hmm. right? Um, yeah, exactly. But, and, uh, I don't know. It, I, like I said on Twitter, this it's, this has now got to the point where I feel like this is a lose-lose situation for Bayern because they either get Sadio Mane and spend way too much money on him or they won't get him. And Bayern fans be wondering, why the hell has Siamic done this Another huge public move to try and get a player and it hasn't worked out. It just makes Bayern look stupid. It looks like the club don't know what they're doing with their transfer signings. And Chris Williams made a great point in this when he said it's just like the Leroy Sani thing all over again. Yeah, it is. Where, Hudson Odoi. Yep. Remember that? Remember that whole saga? Yep, yep, yep. It, it, it doesn't make any sense. I have no idea. You know, there's just... I don't know. It's it's a very it's a very odd situation, and if I was a Bayern Munich fan, I wouldn't be entirely happy with how the club are, as the expression goes, kind of washing their clothes in public. I think it's something along those lines. But um, you know, speaking of washing your clothes in public, this is such a great segment because this next question ties right into this. Ken Cerny on Twitter asks, given the way Brasso or. <laughs> He's on first name basis, I guess. <laughs> Has fumbled the relationship with Lewandowski. Should he be replaced? If so, by who? Okay, um, that's a loaded question. I, I do think that if 
you know, a man who always comes to mind when we talk about uh, Salihamidzic replacement. And this is, of course, someone who's just stepped away from football for, for mental health reasons, right? And that's Max Eberl, mm. right? And he's eternally linked to Bayern Munich. Um, so that would be my replacement. But <sighs> I find this this whole idea of, yes, I mean, they fumbled the relationship with Lewandowski in public. And now their star striker, number nine, and Hassan Salihamidzic is sort of washing that laundry in public. Same as with the Mane thing. Same with Leroy Sané before that. Um, with Hudson Odoi. Timo Werner, someone asked me on Twitter, and I, I can't go into too many details uh, right now on this, is another example where, where Hassan Salihamidzic and Bayern Munich kind of fumbled the negotiations. Right? Mm. So... Um, I guess to go to the core of the question, do you think he should be replaced? I'm I'm always a little uncomfortable answering these questions directly because I don't really think it's our we're in a, we're in a position to be kind of deciding whether a man should keep his job yeah. or not. Um, you know, I think the, I think the Bayern Munich fans will decide that. I think Bayern Munich itself will obviously decide that at some point. Um, if you're asking me if I think Bayern Munich fans think he should be replaced, I think the answer is probably yes. Um, I think it'd be very hard to make a case for him. Having said that, Kerry Howe, who probably knows more about Bayern Munich's transfer dealings than just about anyone these days, was very quick on this podcast to say, look, you know, when things were going well, people did not complain uh, about Brazo, if we want to continue using his name as that. Uh, it's only when things go bad, and I guess that's the kind of curse of being a sporting director or a club president or CEO. You'd when things are going well and, and, the, and the machine's ticking over smoothly, you don't get any credit. But when things hit the hay, it's all your fault. Um, and the question is, the other question as well is that replacing sporting directors isn't really nearly as easy as replacing head coaches. And it's it's an even trickier situation for a club like Bayern Munich because unlike Tottenham, who can just bring in a former Juventus sporting director, uh, or unlike Manchester United, who can bring in Ralph Rangnick and see if that works, and if not, out he goes. Chelsea did the same with their own uh, sporting directors from across Europe. I think PSG are very you know, loose with where they employ from. Not to say that these clubs all have outstanding transfer uh, systems, but what separates Bayern Munich from all these other big super clubs is that they obviously have a very tight-knit group of ex-professionals who they trust to stay working at the club. Um, obviously, Sally Hamovic has a huge history with the club. The man above him, Oliver Kahn, even more so. It's not as if Bayern are going to sack Sally Hamovic and say, um, right, let's have a look around. Okay, let's say Atalanta. Wow, they've been really smart in the transfer window the last five seasons. Let's go get their sporting director. It's not as if Bayern Munich are going to plop some Italian guy down there who doesn't speak any German to be their sporting yeah. director tomorrow. This kind of goes back to the issues we had in the past with the, the head coaches, where the, the more often than not, Bundesliga clubs do kind of limit themselves in that regard because they, they tend to stay specific to German speakers. So... If you're Bayern Munich, you're probably looking around thinking, unless we're bringing an ex-pro who's been doing his coaching licenses or business degrees or scouting network, building up a scouting network, we're probably going to have to bring in someone from another Bundesliga club. Um, and more often than not, that usually means Bayer Leverkusen, which 
isn't a bad idea. I think Leverkusen are probably the smartest run club in the Bundesliga in terms of transfers and transfer uh, scouting at the moment. So going in there and picking up whoever's kind of pulling the strings behind the doors there would be a, wouldn't be a bad idea. But Simon Wolfes. Then you come across the issue where Leverkusen obviously sign a different profile of player from Bayern Munich. They sign players to develop them and to try and turn them into stars. Bayern Munich signed players uh, designed to already be stars. At the end of the day, I think the obvious thing here is that they should go pick up the phone and say, Lothar Mateus, if you think you know so much, why don't you come in and do this job for us? And instead of writing down in his column for T-Mobile every week what Bayern Munich should be doing, he should be in there at Sabina Strasse calling the shots. What do you think? Um, I know that Oli Hoeneß once said that Lothar Matthäus won't even be the greenkeeper at Bayern. <laughs> oh, it would be it would be a nightmare, but or it, but at least there would be fireworks and we'd have fun. Yeah, it would, it'd be great fun. Um, <laughs> <laughs> it's that's uh, yeah, Lothar. Um, <laughs> I don't even know how to do the segue now. But um, <laughs> FC Blocking is asking, given the long tradition of legendary scores to mention Gerd Müller, can you imagine FC Bayern without a striker? No, I cannot. Um, and I think the tradition, we mentioned this on the last podcast, right, that there's always been a number nine and that we're not certain that you could even fathom this club without a proper number nine. And, you know, there is this sort of notion now that maybe you play with with uh, three, so sort of, have the same conundrum than the national team and play with all the proper number nine. I don't think that's going to happen there. Um, mm. So that's that's just my take on it. And yeah, I think we talked about that in great length last week. So it's worth listening back to that. Um, let's talk about some other clubs. And we didn't really mention this at all on the show when it happened, or we briefly mentioned it when it happened. Uh, Nico Kovac at Wolfsburg. Do you see them back in the Champions League? Um, I think Champions League, maybe not. But I do think they will be better under Niko Kovac. Mm. Um, I think you pointed out last week as well that his time in, in Monaco ended a little bit too abruptly. And a lot of people measure him on what he's done at Bayern and completely forget gloss over the fact that he was very good at Frankfurt. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. I think it's a great appointment, to be perfectly honest with you. I know I'm Mr. Don't sign any more Bundesliga head coaches at the minute, but I'm actually quite impressed that Wolfsburg have gone out and signed this former Bundesliga head coach. Yeah. Uh, I think he's a great head coach. I really do. I think he did a great job at Frankfurt. It was, it was quite unfortunate at Bayern Munich, and he just feels like the kind of guy Wolfsburg really needs. Um, they kind of need someone who's got a bit of ambition, someone who can really inspire the players. I think that's such a huge thing at Wolfsburg. It's Almost, they've got no problem kind of building squads. They usually, don't have a problem paying the players that they need to pay them to keep them there or sign them. More often than not, unless Volkswagen have started some new, you know, Dieselgate thing. Um, but I think Wolfsburg, you know, on paper are actually in pretty decent shape right now. I think the squad is actually pretty decent too. Um, I know obviously Brooks is leaving, but I think they'll be fine. Um, yeah, I think they've got a lot of decent young players. I think they've got a good squad. And I actually think Champions League's obtainable for them, to be perfectly honest with you. I don't think I don't think there's a huge number of clubs standing in the way of it. If we even look at this season, like obviously clubs like Freiburg and Hoffenheim and stuff can do well, but man for man, Wolfsburg have a better squad than them, I would say. 
So um, if Hoffenheim can be within touching distance of top four up until the last five or six weeks this season, then I've no reason to believe that a good Nico Kovac side with this Wolfsburg team can do it too. Yeah, I mean, it's always Leverkusen. Uh, sorry, it's always Bayern, Leipzig and Dortmund in the top three. So essentially all these other clubs are fighting for that fourth spot, right? Mm. And, um, so the question is, are you better than Leverkusen? Who are probably pretty good. Um, and of course, Frankfurt are in the Champions League by the virtue of winning the Europa League. But um, they did that finishing 11th in the Bundesliga, mm. somewhere in the mid-table. So yeah, I, I, you have to knock off whoever is fourth because I think the first three are pretty cemented. Um, and that's tough. But, you know, what you said, Wolfsburg have a very good squad. It's not much worse than than Leverkusen's squad, although I do think Leverkusen are doing some fantastic business this this summer. Mm. Um, you know, Losek done, Schick signed to a new contract. Mutrik is apparently almost done. It's just paperwork um, complication because he is technically go, supposed to go to the front, which is just brutal to hear. Um, so, you know, like the last few things there to clear up and um, then Leverkusen are going to look very good. So I think this is the team that they need to knock off. Mm. Um, the next question, and I wonder if it's still too early to answer this, but I'm going to gonna read it out anyways. Stephen Wallace asks, are you surprised there hasn't been more interest for Nkunku? He also adds, glad gegen pressing is still podcasting during the offseason. Danke. Well, you're welcome. Um, to answer your question, everyone is with the national teams right now. This is why you don't hear any announcements of transfers, right? We're still mm-hmm. waiting for Bayern, for example, to announce Grafenberg. It's, I tell you what, as long as the Nations League is playing, you're not going to hear that. This is sort of like a mini summer tournament and uh, teams are kind of off, off duty and they're not doing much because most of the players are gone. So wait is what I'm saying. Mm. Um, but I do think, and you've said this a few times, I don't think Leipzig will sell them. Yeah, I think, I think I actually think Mbappe staying at PSG makes a big difference to this. Uh, I think he felt like a perfect replacement for them. I know he's been linked with moves to Real Madrid, but I think they've now decided to go a different direction because they're obviously signing a very good midfielder from Monaco, whose name I've yet to really properly learn properly. Chuomeni. Chuomeni, there we go, well done. Um, <laughs> and yeah, so after that, you're quite limited. Maybe someone like Man United might come in for him if they can shed two or three forwards, but at the end of the day, as you said... RB Leipzig just really are no pressure to sell him. Um, I think it's more likely to see some like Shobislai or maybe Danny Olmo move on um, yeah. before they let Nkunku go, um, which is a shame because I actually really was really hoping to see quite a lot more of Shobislai. I thought he was actually quite a disappointment this season. I think he's been linked with Real Sociedad at one point. Um, yeah, I heard some weird Liverpool rumour too. Yeah. I but, didn't pay much attention to it. <laughs> yeah, no, so I'm, I'm not entirely sure... Um, I think obviously, and this is the problem, it would take a Jaden Sancho level of money to really dislodge Nkunku from from RB Leipzig this summer. And yeah. I think most of the big clubs in Europe are just currently trying to figure out how much money they have, how much money can they spend, and who do they want to spend it on. And I think the whole market was really waiting to see what happened with Mbappe and Erling Haaland and have just kind of slotted in Behind that, I think we're now seeing that obviously with Darwin Nunes, where there's now a huge amount of interest in him because he's next in line. 
which then kicks off Sadio Mane, which then kicks off Serge Gnabry. All these things play into account. So we might see someone end up after all this with none of these players, like a like a Man United, and say, "Look, there we go. There's eighty million pounds. Give me Nkunku. You know, we might yeah, see they'll, they'll, that they'll try to do it on. They'll try to do it on the final day of the the transfer window when it's way too late. Yeah, exactly. So if you have to ask me at this moment in time, I don't think he's going anywhere. Yeah, it's also it's June. Um, the windows can actually open till the end of this month. Uh, just want to add that. Um, Rob C asks us, can you tell us more about the style that Erden Tesic will bring to B4B and how different it is from Marco Rose? What does the club need to see from Tesic so that he gets the second season that Rose didn't get? Oh, that's a very good question. Um, I think you need to look at what he did during his brief spell at Dortmund that didn't really start out well. And then mm. they had um, then Frankfurt collapsed and they managed to get that fourth spot after all, right? Mm. Um, to, to, to see what you will get from him. Um, I think Dortmund hoped that he is finally going to bring back this exciting style of football that they played under Jurgen Klopp which brings us back to this eternal chase of them trying to find the next Jurgen Klopp. Um, I think bringing in uh, Hermann as an assistant coach that was announced yesterday, I think, is a really good move. Um, he's one of the best assistant coaches in the Bundesliga, and I think that will give him the needed experience um, in the squad to work with the squad. And... What does what do we need to see from from Terzic? I, I guess Stefan a Bundesliga title challenge. Hmm. Oh, without a doubt. I mean, to be honest with you, like the question is, what does he have to do that Rosa didn't? Um, not a lot, to be honest. And and this is the kind of weird thing about this appointment. He's not really been appointed because he's because he has outstanding managerial credentials. He's been appointed because he's Dortmund's guy. He's a Dortmund man through and through. He's a cheerleader for the club. Uh, in terms of like his actual coaching, I actually didn't think a huge amount of his tactical changes were that obvious. He played around a lot uh, in his first stint in the club, which was only like, what, 30 games, I think? 32? He changed a lot between a back four and a back three. Changed a lot between a 4-3-3 and a 4-2-3-1. Um, he experimented a lot to kind of see what would work. He wasn't... He, was, he didn't have any sort of dogma or standout kind of philosophy or formation that he's stuck by. Um, he just seemed like a very pragmatic coach. But I think more than anything else, he just seemed to be a very good man manager. Uh, the, the players all got behind him very quickly. He seems to be a very likable guy. Um, and kind of by the time they got to that kind of Pokal final where they beat Leipzig, um, you know, there was just a really good feel-good feeling about the club. Um mm. And I think that's kind of what they're hoping for more than anything else, um, which, you know, is maybe what they need at the club more than anything else. Uh, more than kind of like a really keen tactician, maybe they just need someone who can kind of keep these stars happy. It's, it's, it, it seems very reductive and it seems very min- minimalist in terms of an argument, but when you look around at clubs like Real Madrid, you know, in terms of the managers they've had in Zidane and, and Carlo Ancelotti, these are two, these are two managers who've kind of, spat in the eye in terms of you know in terms of like being very different from the kind of modern phenomena of these very smart 
over-the-top thinking head coaches like Pep Guardiola or Thomas Tuchel. These guys are very minimalist in the regard. So maybe if Eden Terzic is more like that, then maybe there might be something to it. But mm. to, to, to answer your question very quickly, I don't think he'll be under anywhere near the same amount of pressure as Marco Rosa on day one. Well, Marco Rosa also had his had Eden Terzic, who was always slotted to be his replacement as his boss. And um, we always knew that eventually Aaron Tezic was going to replace Marco Rosa. Aaron Tezic doesn't, doesn't have his successor as his boss right now. So that makes things already way easier. <laughs> yeah, well, that's true. <laughs> that helps. <laughs> it does help. Like, I mean, it's so brutal. The, the situation that they put Marco Rosa in was actually kind of brutal when you think about it. Um, he was set up to fail. Yeah, That's... exactly. And we've talked about this quite a lot in the pod recently. It just seemed like a most bizarre situation. And I think in time, Marco Rosa will probably find a club that suits him, gives him the yeah. time to kind of develop, and he'll prove once again, as he did at Gladbach, that he's a pretty solid head coach. Uh, yeah. But it just seemed, it kind of seemed doomed to fail at Dortmund from the get-go. And if Terzic was always their man, then then so be it. We'll see what happens. Mm-hmm. I, I agree, and uh, I agree with your man management um, opinion as well. I think that's almost way more important now. It has become way more important now than even Jurgen Klopp is more of a man manager than a tactician. I think the people um, that work with him do a lot of the tactical input, and I think the same is going to be true for Terzic, um, which ties us in nicely with this next question from David Hall: Who is more important to building a Champions League Europa contender? The coach or the sporting director lasting continuity like at Freiburg seems rare for most others there is a lot of turnover especially with the coach is that fair to the coach no it's not fair to the coach but it's football and nothing is fair um I think it really depends on the model um that you're going for I think at Freiburg Streich is a little bit of both isn't he he's both Mm. a head coach and a manager or sporting director as they call them in German um, at Bayern Munich, you had a long time continuity with Oli Hoeneß being the manager, as they call it in German, right? Mm-hmm. He sort of invented that term and that gave continuity. I think continuity is the most important part, but it doesn't necessarily be on, it needs, doesn't need to necessarily be the sporting director or the head coach. It needs to be one or the other that needs to be there for a long time to, to sort of build a philosophy, right? That's sort of my take on it. Frankfurt are a great example too, where um, there was a lot of continuity with Hütter there and Bobic and both left, but they gave it to the right people to continue the project and then ended up in a title. And I think there was people in the boardroom there that really worked hard to ensure there would be continuity after key people left. Um, and I think that is really the number one thing. I think to have to, to be a team that is not one of the richest in the world, you have to have some sort of, as they call it in German, ein langen Atem, a long breath, um, in order to actually get there eventually. And also to accept that uh, it comes with, with not everything going well. Like Frankfurt didn't play a great Bundesliga campaign and mm-hmm. they put all their baskets in the Europa League campaign and got heavily rewarded for it. But that takes a lot of patience and also the ability to not get nervous and fire your head coach. Yeah, I think that's, that's a big thing for me right there. What Frankfurt have done, they said, okay, well, not everything has gone well under Glasner in the Bundesliga, but he's won the club a massive title. 
Mm. And I think that's that's the boardroom that made that decisions, right? Yeah, I mean, to be kind of boring here, I guess the, the real answer to this is you kind of need both. You really do need both. You need a head coach who can get the best out of the squad that he's got, uh, which I think is obviously what Christian Strike does very well. But I think what's often overlooked with Christian Strike is that at Freiburg, they lose players constantly, and he has to make do with the players he's got. He doesn't have some sort of car. He doesn't really have some final say over which players come and go at the club and who they sign. I'm sure he has more of an input than most head coaches in the Bundesliga, but he doesn't get to say, no, don't sell Nico Schlotterbeck. That's that's just the reality of football that he does leave. And Strike will have to prove once again that he's a great head coach by replacing guys like that. So you have that as one part of the equation. The other part of it as well um, is he need a good sporting director who can make sure that these clubs don't fall apart, or sorry, these squads don't fall apart. And of course, they're also in, in charge of hiring the head coach as well, usually. So they have to have an eye for that as well. Mm. And when you have an overactive sporting director without the coach in place, it just it just means the club go in circles. And I think Dortmund are a good example of that, where you know you can maybe look at what they've done in the last fifteen years um, under Sebastian Kell's kind of predecessor. And you could argue that, yeah, they've made so much money and they've brought so many stars to the club, they've developed so many players and they've moved them on. But they've really struggled with head coaches since Tuchel left the club. And as a result, no standalone head coach has been able to kind of win titles with what are, you know, season by season, some very good squads at Dortmund. Um, A head coach hasn't been able to come in and win something because they haven't had good enough head coaches and I think that's something that Dortmund have overlooked more often than not. I think they think if we get enough kind of wonder kids in this team, it'll just work itself. These players will just kind of win themselves titles. Um, I think the head coaches have been overlooked. I think Dortmund are a good example of how you can have, you can be on top with your sport. You can have a sporting director who's very switched on, but if you don't have a head coach in there to kind of make things work, it doesn't work. You could maybe argue that Bayern Munich are the opposite of that, where they've got very good head coaches recently. They had obviously Eden Terz, Eden Terzic, Hansi Flick, uh, who's a yeah. very good head coach, and now Julian Nagelsmann, who's also a very good coach. But things are beginning to lag because, well, apparently the sporting director isn't really doing his job, and you know, there's, and there's only so much that Julian Nagelsmann can do uh, if he's having to play Bruno Saar in a Champions League quarter final or. You know, he's relying on Toliso to kind of get back from injury to cover up for some injuries in midfield because they don't have an extra th- midfielder. Or maybe, if, you know, maybe Marcel Sabic is a better example of that. would have been an underwhelming signing. So, yeah, boring. the boring answer is you need both in German football. Yes, um, I 100% agree with this. Um, who do you think will be the next big star in the Bundesliga with Haaland, Lewandowski and Kuko already left, possibly leaving the Bundesliga soon. This question comes in from Yudis on Twitter. Um, I think Nkunku is staying, so he will be a big star in the Bundesliga. Haaland and Lewandowski, um, we'll see about Lewandowski. But that's a very good question. I mean, Karim Adeyemi is one that comes to mind. Patrick Schick is um, still at Leverkusen. I think he's going to be a massive star in this league. He, he might win he might win the the Torjäger Kanone, Stefan. Hmm. Now that all these other two guys are gone, yeah. Um, Leverkusen's one to watch. I always say this, and then I fall on fall on my face for that. <laughs> um, but I actually mean it this time. 
<laughs> they're making some good signings. Yeah. I mean, if you were to ask me who's next in line, I would say Jude Bellingham, to be honest with you. I'd, um, I'd put him above Adeyemi, in my opinion, just because I think he already has a much bigger international presence. Um, and I'm not saying he will be the best player. I just think he might be the face of the Bundesliga per se, at least internationally going forward. Florian Wirtz is another one. Yeah. Oh, he, Same you, age you, category. You took the words right out of my mouth. Um, I think Florian Wirtz, arguably the most talented youngster in the league, uh, in my opinion, um, alongside Jude Bellingham, Jamal Musial is obviously another yeah. huge star. I think Musial is going to be a good shout. I think, Jamal is a good shout because he's English. Yeah, German. and right. I think Musial is probably the safest bet just because he's going to, he's going to have a very good career yeah. at Bayern Munich and at Germany. It just means he's always going to be at World Cups. He's always going to be fighting for the Champions League. Unless something goes wrong, he doesn't work out at Bayern, which doesn't look likely. Um, it looks like he's going to have a big career ahead of him and a long-term one where he will stay in Germany. The difference obviously here is that Florian Wirtz, Jude Bellingham, Adeyemi, these guys might all end up leaving for England in five years' time. So, you know, I'm uh, not sure with Jude Bellingham. He seems pretty married to that club. Yeah, I don't know. Now, all the comments that he's recently made, it's not like Jaden Sancho. It's very different. No, well, that's Such a guy who has, who has very... who has pretty clear opinions and um, yeah, I just thought it was interesting the things that he said. Like, they asked him if he's going to leave Dortmund or someone. He categorically said no. Mm. Um, yeah, yeah I, I just I get this impression from him that he really likes it there. Yeah, but the problem for him is whether Dortmund keep up their end of the bargain and they actually put together a team that can win titles because Jude Bellingham's not going to waste his career at Dortmund if they're not going to put together a squad that no. can that can challenge for the Bundesliga. N- neither should he. Um, he's extremely <laughs> talented. Um, I, I guess you were totally right. This is up to Dortmund now to actually, and it, this is a good point, maybe that in Jude Bellingham they might have one of the next biggest stars in the Bundesliga. It's up to them now to give the give him the squad to be competitive. Hmm. Yeah, I think we actually have a question next, which kind of lines in with us quite well, don't we? Yeah. A prediction to how long will Germany have to wait for a Bundesliga team other than Bayern to win the Champions League and which team? Wow, the Champions League. This is not even the Bundesliga title. We're going straight to the Champions League. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Leipzig came close once. Mm. And um, I know that this is what Red Bull wants. Uh, They want to win the Champions League. Oh, can you imagine the outcry? It'd be way worse than with the DFB Pokal. Um, it's a I, good question. I, 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 if you're asking me right now which club's more likely to win it between Dortmund and Leipzig, then I think it's Leipzig, hands, yeah. hands down. Uh, I think they have a better squad. Uh, I think they've got a better capacity to hold on to their players. And at this moment in time, they have a better head coach. And, and it's a, it's a official goal too. Yeah, and I think they're probably better placed to challenge for the Bundesliga next season. Uh, um, I, I expect them to challenge for the Bundesliga next season. If they don't, I think Tedesco will be out of the job very quickly. Um, and I think as part of that, they'll also have to prove their worth in the Champions League as well. Um, so I think, yeah, 
I'd say I'd say at this moment in time, I think Leipzig are far more likely to be challenging for those titles than Dortmund at the moment in time. Yeah. I mean, I'm already glad that we had a team win a European title not named Bayern for the first time since 1997 <laughs> this season. <laughs> I swear, this is the last time we're bringing up this, this stat. Um, Eintracht Frankfurt are in the Champions League next year and they have a pedigree of going deep in competitions. Maybe they shock us all. No, I, I don't think so. But um, yeah, Leipzig is a good shout. Dortmund, I think it will eventually do it. I think the more interesting question is, is one of them going to dethrone Bayern in the Bundesliga this year? Hmm. Well, right. I mean, Bayern are there for the taking, if you ask me. If they lose Lewandowski, then yeah. there really is no excuse for these two, for, for Dortmund and Leipzig. Um, That's be- 40 goals gone. It'd be really interesting to see what would have happened if Tedesco had been in charge from match day one this season. Um, but and I think a very, very average Dortmund side actually managed to keep pace with Bayern for about four-fifths of the season. So I don't think this Bayern team are by any means above you know, tripping over themselves, dropping points, uh, and kind of stumbling throughout the season I think they're kind of waiting for some to take advantage of their kind of misgivings um, and I think Leipzig kind of have the resources and the head coach to do that and as players they have match winners they have depth um, it's an impressive squad so I, I, I know I'm beginning to just kind of sound like a Red Bull cheerleader here because I go on about it all the time but there's really no excuse why Leipzig shouldn't be challenging for the Bundesliga next season mm. no I agree with you. I think that Dortmund and Leipzig and maybe even Leverkusen could all challenge Bayern, which means they're all going to take points off each other and Bayern will win it again. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, I know, it's very, very cynical. Um, <laughs> there's uh, one more question that I've been really curious about and it's maybe almost the last one to wrap it up. Uh, will Kofeld get a Bundesliga job next season? You would think not, right? Right? <laughs> well, I think <laughs> I, I think he will because the Bundesliga just keeps oh, signing yeah. the same head coaches over and over again. So realistically, he probably will. Oh, man. Yeah, they can't help themselves. Um, <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, there was one final question that's come in, and this is from a follower that I know quite well. Um, Os Sweeney asked me, do you think a Bundesliga squad might try and swoop to in to get Jonathan David? He's the Canadian national team striker playing for Lille. Um, his price tag is... Well, oh, we were at the Transfermarkt market value meeting where we discussed this, Stefan. Um, mm. His price tag is now 49.5 million US dollars or 45 million euros. And he scored just above double-digit goals. And that should answer your question. Um, I don't think a Bundesliga team will spend that amount of money on a player that hasn't scored 20-plus goals in a, in a lower league. Hmm. Yeah. That's my take. Yeah, I, I know very little about this player, but I will take your I will take your advice for it. I think he's very good, and I think someone will pay that amount of money, but I don't think a Bundesliga team will. Because I just look at the... The, the players that have been linked with Bundesliga teams, right? The, the strikers that have been linked with Bundesliga teams. Sasha Kalajic, um is one, and you know he has 20 goals in him if he's healthy. Mm. Um, and he's around 20 million. Then there is Sebastian Haller, 
who's around a 20 goal scorer and he's already at 40 million. Mm. Uh, Hugo Iketike was another one who's now going to Newcastle. Um, he was around 45 million and he had, he's 19 and he scored more than double digit goals. Um, mm. Like he think he's 11 or 12. So if you are 21, 22 and you're around 45 million, I think a Bundesliga team will say that your body of work isn't consistent enough for you to justify this price tag. We don't have that sort of money. Hmm. That's just my no, thinking. It's yeah. it's yeah. It'd be very it'd be very surprising. That's just I think not a really Premier League team award. or a La Liga team would do it, or maybe a team from Italy, but not a German team. Yeah. So, anyways. We got through them all. There were some other ones that were just fantastic. We just kind of ran out of time and we'll probably get to them eventually um, or we'll answer the questions just because some of them were relevant of, of, to the topics that we are discussing anyhow mm. on this podcast on a regular. On a regular. So uh, thank you so much for the questions. We really appreciate them. And uh, we really appreciate you having been listening to the show for 250 episodes. That's <laughs> remarkable. Um and yeah, please leave us a review. We've got some really nice ones. So we thank you for that as well. And yeah, as always, the show is brought to you by Bet Online, and we'll be back pretty soon, right, Stefan? Probably next week. Absolutely. Awesome. And I'm also glad we got through this entire episode without the wash machine guy showing up <laughs> for you and interrupting us. <laughs> there were a few close calls when a car went by the house, but we got there in the end. Awesome. We did it all in one go. Anyhow. <laughs> Uh, until next time, auf Wiedersehen. For listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B L E A V on YouTube.